You are listening to the Better Together podcast, brought to you by the National Association of Free Will Baptists. Welcome to the Better Together podcast, where we look for ways we can work together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we have with us Dr. W.J. Moon. He is uh, working in an interesting area, I think very interesting to many of you all. He's a professor of evangelism and church planting and director of the faith of the Office of Faith, Work, and Economics at Asbury Theological Seminary. And he has authored six books. He's also edited seven books. And we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about a book that he's written called Missional Vibrancy and Financial Viability. So, uh, Dr. Moon, thank you so much for joining us today, my friend. Eddie, great to be with you. Look forward to our discussion together here. So it's a different economic time for the the whole country, for all of North America, and especially we think about most of our listeners are in the United States. Uh, churches are in a different kind of situation. I know that you have worked in this way and uh, your mission work in the past and your work with church planters, but give us a little bit of what you're seeing as the financial landscape for what uh, churches today, especially in North America, are experiencing? Yes, good question, Eddie. Um, the, the accounting firm Cap and Kraus estimates that about 30, 33%, about one-third of the churches in the U.S. are in the red right now, and we don't know how many are going to survive. Now, COVID didn't cause that, but it just kind of revealed and accelerated that trend. Furthermore, for church planters, increasingly they're having a hard time raising the amount of money to plant a church. So several of these organizations that help church planters, they recommend that the, org- the team raises three years money up front in order to like burn through that cash. And then after three years, they hope is a, there's a viable um, church plant. The amount of money to do that is about three hundred to $500,000. And increasingly, church planting teams are having a hard time finding the money to be able to make that. So what happens, unfortunately, is a lot of teams just give up and they say, well, maybe we misheard God's call upon our lives. Even though they had a call of God, they just gave up due to the financial side. And we think that we can actually change that equation. And the churches that are going to close this year, and really, this is painful to say, but you know, if you have 300,000 churches in the U.S., that's like 100,000 that are somewhere between life support and their deathbed. I think we can cut that number at least in half if they looked at some other financial models that don't rely upon tithes and offerings alone. We've inherited that model, but there are six others that we um, have demonstrated with research that are they're being done. This isn't just like pie in the sky dreaming. This is actual reality where people are looking you know, outside the box a bit for alternate financial models. So you say it's not just pie in the sky. It's not just theoretical. You've, you've seen this. You've seen it in your research. And so talk to us a little bit about what has happened at Highland Heights uh, Baptist Church. I think it's in Memphis, Tennessee. Yes, it is. So this is a, uh, an example. It was a church founded in 1913, and the building was constructed in 1944. Um, uh, an educational wing was added in the 1960s. So you had, you know, 750 to 1,000 people attending in its heyday, and it dwindled down to 25 members. A third of those are senior citizens. And as you can imagine, it's very difficult to maintain the building because they don't have a lot of money to 
repair the building. And if there was a leak in the roof, they don't have the human resource to go up there and repair it. Um, in the neighborhood, three other similar churches were closed. So as a result, they start to think and, and wonder, well, what's going to happen to us? And um, if they don't do anything, most likely what will happen to a church like that is that they'll close like the others have. Hmm. It turns out that in 2020, Highland Heights Baptist Church, though, there was a change that occurred. They found a, a partner, the Collegiate School of Memphis, that wanted to use their space. Okay, so they're able to monetize their space, which is an asset. And the school is very happy to, con to construct and repair the roof and utilize that space during the week. And all of a sudden you get a cash flow that changes the equation where you're not dependent upon 25 people's tithes and offerings, but you have an alternate financial stream. In addition, a community development center, like a nonprofit was formed and a nonprofit can get income that churches can't. So they can gain um, you know, cash from government agencies, et cetera. So that becomes another way that the church can be missionally vibrant in the community. And then another church came alongside and said, we would like to meet Sunday afternoon and they're willing to rent that space for a period of time. So that type of rental provided some income. So as a result, what happens is the church becomes missionally vibrant again. They're reaching out to their community. They're planting another church in that area. Uh, the school is meeting, but they're also financially viable. And in this discussion, Eddie, I like to keep those two always together. Mm -hmm. We're not simply talking about how to keep churches alive financially. We're talking about how to help a church be financially viable so that it can be missionally vibrant. And that's the equation that we're looking at. That's good. So they're contributing in some way to their community. Right. Uh, they're providing assistance in a way, in some particular way. Uh, and it, and also, you know, they're able to do more ministry because they've got resources they didn't have otherwise. Right, right. So, you know, if you have compassion, but you have no capacity, you just get frustrated. Yeah. If you have compassion, though, that's matched with capacity, you can be transformative. So that's what we're talking about, how to help churches be transformative in their communities, involved, engaged in ministry and mission, because they have some financial footing. That, that's our goal for this. So I know you talk about it uh, with the acronym MINTS, trying to have like a MINTS approach to ministry to help us to be vibrant, to help us to be uh, viable, and also to be influential wherever we would be. Walk us through the kind of some of these mints approaches that uh, churches, startup churches, also though uh, churches that are in need of revitalization could engage in. Yeah, well, I use the word mints just to say like, we're not going to mince words talking about money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to up with it here, you know, and, and hopefully that's an acronym that can, you know, you can remember. But the M stands for monetize underutilized assets. Okay, so think about a church that has assets that they're underutilized. There's a lot of church buildings with space that is heated and cooled throughout the week, but only used, say, Wednesday night, Sunday, etc. Why not use that space to rent out? So it could be for like a, a co-working space that people are willing to pay, you know, uh, each month. It could be use that land for, well, one church rents out their, their parking lot for a carnival that pays them 12,000 bucks each time, twice a year. Um, 
Just think about the assets that are there that are underutilized. And what that does, it creates an extra um, cash flow in there. Uh, the I stands for incubate new business. So this is where the church says, you know, we can use our, our people in our space to incubate a business like with the church that I'm a part of. I'm a teaching pastor of a local church and we purchased this building and created a business called an event space. This event space um, is used throughout the week, largely on the weekends, but it becomes an alternate form of uh, cash flow. It also helps us engage in the community, like the city, by connecting with people, et cetera. And what this does, Eddie, these different models, they help the church get engaged in the community missionally. Um, but it also provides another model for church planting that doesn't require the church planter to have 100 to 150 people in the church. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you have an alternate stream, you're not required to have 150 people to make it financially viable, which is actually a great relief to a lot of church planters. Because several folks that I know, they're really good at pastoring and shepherding 30 to 40 people. But when they get to 100, 150 people, they don't have those kind of organizational gifts. And they almost feel like they've lost this kind of family feel. Um, but like the church that we have, we just met last night, we get about $1,000 a week coming in. So what that means is that provides a cash flow that takes the burden off the tithes and offerings so that our congregation is about 30 to 40 people, mm -hmm. you know, and it works. So you that's the that way. And, and, and you're, you're doing something, it's not ministry per se, but you're providing a service to your community. Yes, which often leads to relational connections, which often leads to people coming in. Uh, sometimes there's a, people that asking prayer, um, and it connects with people in ways that normally churches don't connect with people in the city and, and those people on the sidelines, the margins. So the uh, third option, the N, stands for nonprofits can form mission arms of the church. Now, this is interesting because a nonprofit, as I mentioned before, can attract funds from government agencies that churches can't. And what happens is those funds then become, in the eyes of the church, uh, a mission arm of the church. So what that means is as the church is engaged in mission, it's not money coming out of the church, but it's actually money that's coming elsewhere. And it can be a positive line item if the nonprofit decides to rent office space from the church because the nonprofit doesn't care you know, where they're renting the space, but the church at market rates can rent out an office space and therefore it can be a positive line item in their budget. Um, Give our listeners a couple of the nonprofits you see. Uh, churches partnering with in this kind of endeavor? Yeah, well, a, a really good example is a friend, Mark DeMaz, um, has a church called the Mosaic Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The Vine and Village is the nonprofit that has about a half a million dollar budget per year. None of that money, though, comes from the church. They have uh, like 13 different nonprofit arms under this umbrella. Everything from uh, food distribution to uh, ministering to preteen mothers. There's like a chess club. There's um, you know various job training, etc. So 
the interesting thing about it, the church itself looks at this as their ministry arm. But the money doesn't come from the church. And in actuality, the church can receive like rent income from the office that meets in the church. <laughs> so what that does is it makes or allows the church to be very missionally vibrant in their community, even though they don't have a lot of finances to cover it. The nonprofit can, um, you know, attract that kind of funding. It's good. So the the fourth one at C is stands for co-vocational leadership. So um, this is where the leadership of the church, it's a calling upon their lives to both work in ministry in the church, but also have a job outside the church. And it's not seen as second best or short term. In other words, even if the church could afford to pay them full time, they'll still continue in that ministry because, again, it connects them missionally to people outside the walls of the church. And when it does that, then it provides uh, real connections with them and also connections with the pastor and the rest of the congregation who see that pastor like ministering in the, the business world. Um, this model seems to be on the rise. Yeah. You know, Christianity today said that there is an increase of 32% from 2010, 2015. I haven't seen the more recent numbers, but from what I can tell that continues to be on the rise and I don't see you know, much slowdown in that. And what you're saying is don't look down on bivocational or co-vocational pastors, right? Uh, a way for them to get out of the bubble, so to speak, that we can uh, sometimes get in that Chuck Lawless writes about. Um, it's a way for them to get into the world and also make it uh, more increase number of staff and so forth that we can have at a church because of this particular route or ministry area. Yeah. Totally. So I could, I consider myself to be co-vocational. You know, I'm full-time professor at the seminary, but I have these businesses on the weekend that I do, like tree houses and other things. And I told uh, our seminary president, Dr. Tim Tennant, I'm convinced I'm a better professor during the week because of my business activity on the weekend. He said, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> that's good we're glad he said that right yeah right right yeah you know, i love dr Tennant doing a great job here yeah. but i think it's really true eddie because what happens is it connects us to people outside the christian bubble mm -hmm. and we're teaching evangelism and church planting you know it's great that i'm with christians all week i love it but i need to get outside that bubble and i'm not kidding just about every week through these business activities People think that they're just talking to like uh, a treehouse designer or an engineer or an Airbnb host. They don't realize I'm actually a pastor slash missionary looking to minister to them. Yeah. What Dallas Willard calls a divine conspiracy. You yeah. Know? And in, in the midst of this, I've had so many opportunities to minister people, to pray with people, et cetera, that it just is rejuvenating. And I just think it, it provides so much missional potential that that alone is a good reason to be co-vocational. It's good. Yeah. Cool. Well, number five is this, uh, the E stands for entrepreneurial church planting. This is where someone starts a business in order to create a venue for a church plant, or they work inside of an existing business and use that venue for the church plant. So uh, an example would be um, Paul Unsworth in England. Uh, London, you know, England, he 
saw 20,000 people going down this street and no Christian witness on Sundays at all along that street. So you opened up a coffee shop with, uh, you know, like sweet treats, cafe, et cetera. And that becomes a venue where he meets as his church plant on Wednesday nights, about 30 to 40 people gather. And here's what he said. He said, I've had more spiritual conversations with people in a week than I had in working in a church for a whole year. Wow. People that don't know anything about Jesus. So what that does is it, it finds a way to help church planters engage the marketplace where there are large networks of people in order to connect them to Christ. And the assumption is, if they're not going to come to our church buildings, how are we going to find them and reach them? And perhaps this network of relationships where people exchange value called the marketplace is a setting for that to occur. I know our listeners knew that was going to be a coffee shop. That's every <laughs> pastor's dream, right? Or not every pastor, but many of us. What are yeah. some other um, marketplace or venues that, uh, that have been used in this way? Yeah, this is actually a lot of fun, to be honest, Eddie. Uh, there's a Asbury Seminary student who has like a, a spin class and just ask the ladies if they'd like to stay afterwards. We'll uh, pray together, hear some uh, words from God together, and then they start meeting together in a spin class. Hmm. I know of planters that have like a barbershop. You know, you're going to be with this guy or gal, whatever, for at least 20 minutes or whatever. And that becomes a relational network to connect with people and then also a venue for the church plant. Um, bakeries, uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot of coffee shops, but there's also cafes, uh, workout facilities. It really is up to the imagination. And what you're thinking about is, how can I either connect with people where they're already gathering or what kind of marketplace would attract people to come could be a pizza shop whatever because frankly like if you provide good pizza eddie i'm going to come find you when i visit right. your you attract me down yeah you don't have to knock on my door yeah right? so if people are not coming to the church instead of knocking on their doors what if we provide a way for them to find we're creating value for them and that becomes a venue for the church plan as well that's great Wow. So a lot of ideas. And we should say you've done a lot of work in this area. Uh, you've written about it. This, there's an article where I first uh, saw it or, and really kind of learned about you was in the Great Commission Research Network. But you've also got a book that's out there that folks could really get into and, and learn more. And it's pretty much these ideas, except really expanded upon, aren't they, Jay? Yeah, I wrote the book to actually help as a coach. And the goal is that you gather your either church planning team or church elders together. And the first chapter does like a, I would call it like a checkup when you go to the doctor for a yearly checkup, but do a checkup looking at your missional goals and your financial goals, and then give you a grid to decide which one of these is best suited for your context. And then each chapter describes each of those with some questions at the end to help people think through. Um, and we found that as we've been doing more and more research in this area, that actually this tends to be growing. And when people like planters or pastors try one of these, they often tend to try another. Mm -hmm. So I've been talking about them as very discrete individual approaches. 
But it turns out that once people try, so like they start to monetize their underutilized assets, they say, wow, this connects me with people outside the church. This brides a, brings the cash flow in. What if we had a nonprofit as well? And they start a nonprofit, you know? And they say, well, what if we, you know, incubate a business? And all of a sudden, what's happening is it just kind of builds this momentum. And they find that ministry is just a lot wide, wider than they thought before. Instead of just ministering to people, they come inside the building. They're finding ways to engage people that are outside the building initially in order to connect with them in like real marketplace settings. And I know really they're becoming entrepreneur and folks are listening and like, well, hold it. Didn't Jesus turn over the, the tables in the temple? And I know you've written and, and talked a bit about that. So explain that a little bit to our listeners. How is it not that? How is it that we're taking this and it's a way for us to go into the marketplace and influence people and, and reach them with the gospel? Yeah, very good. Well, that's that's a good point. When Jesus overturned the tables, he was actually doing two things. One, he was angry that they had made this uh, house of prayer into like a, a den of thieves, a place to make profit. But even worse, it was making profit on the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So the people that were vulnerable would take, you know, the small that they had and they would convert it into the temple coins, et cetera, and people making profit in this. So what we're saying is the opposite. We're actually asking for prayer to return back into the marketplace so that the marketplace doesn't become just a secular setting, but it becomes a spiritual setting dripping with sacred potential. And secondly, instead of preying upon the vulnerable, what we're asking is to provide capacity so that the church can be more generous in the community and the church can be more giving in their community. So some of the churches that I've uh, been talking about they're actually very generous in their community. And it's one of the things I love about this. The church that I'm a part of, Shadowland Community Church, is actually finding ways to be very generous in their neighborhood, even though they have 30 to 45 people that show up. You know, mm -hmm. um, Usually that's not happening. Usually they're, they're struggling to pay the pastor in the building, um, but now they're able to be generous. So what Jesus was criticizing was not the use of entrepreneurial thinking to innovate, what he was criticizing was preying upon the, the poor and the marginalized and also turning uh, what's supposed to be a sacred space into a secular space. And we're trying to say, let's, let's go back to what Jesus had in mind. Make sure these business settings become sacred space and make sure that we're generous and missional, particularly to the marginalized and not preying upon them. And most of these activities are meeting a need. That's that's pretty clear when we look at your information. And uh, it's a safe place for people to have an office or uh, and especially among the millennials, they really appreciate kind of the thinking or the approach, the service mentality, it sounds like out there. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, think about like in the gig economy, there's a lot of millennials that are gig workers, and they can stay at home in their pajamas and work all day, but they get lonely. Yeah. So they want a collective space where they can work together, share ideas, employ each other. What if churches across the country said, yeah, we can, you can use our Sunday school rooms during the week, and it's closed off on the weekends, but that space that's available that you can use for co-working. Missionally, what that does is it lets millennials know that the church is actually caring about their concerns, that they're interested and engaged in their concerns. A lot of them don't know 
that the church is really concerned about what they are. Mm -hmm. So it, it provides both this, this um, financial income. They're, they'll pay maybe 50, 100 bucks a seat to do that. And when one church started this, they had like 15 people signed up right away. But it also provides a way for the church to engage the demographic that's not often showing up in that particular church. And therefore, it connects them missionally. It's great. So you're listening in. You're like, hey, I want to learn more about that. Well, there is a book. Uh, you can find it at multiplication.org. And we'll actually um, send a link to that. It's also located at amazon.com. And um, Jay, we'll try to provide a link to the the article in the uh, Great Commission Research Network journal so people can kind of get a cliff note version of all of this as well. But thank you so much for this material. Thank you for what you're doing in the kingdom. And really, I think it's a guide to so many of us as we're trying to adapt in this new situation we find ourselves, the church finds ourselves in. But it's also a way for us to to reach people with the gospel and to help our communities, help them see that they matter to us, that we really care about them and we, we want to do what we can to serve them and help them and to point them toward Jesus. Thank you, Jay. Oh, my pleasure, Eddie. And, and my hope really is that people start to embrace kind of entrepreneurial thinking in order to promote innovation, a spiritual innovation in their context. Um, it, it turns out that people have this misconception that an entrepreneur is like a highly caffeinated, high risk taker, you know, just kind of like born with this innate kind of different way of thinking. But that's not true. Entrepreneurial thinking can be taught. People can learn it. And my hope is that we kind of break outside the curse of knowledge, you know, where we're locked into certain ways of thinking and use entrepreneurial thinking in order to innovate for the church of the future, particularly when we're, we're faced with things like where we are now. If nothing happens, Eddie, and I'm not being prophetic here, but if nothing changes and if people continue in the one way of promoting or uh, keeping churches financially viable through tithes and offerings, that we're going to have a significant closure of churches and a significant decrease in the number of churches that are being planted. Yeah. So my hope is that as we use entrepreneurial thinking to innovate into the future, we're really embodying some of the characteristics of God himself where God is creative and not limited by our past, but is able to connect with and reach people through this Missio Day in ways that, to, to be honest, this is actually, I, I think, more of a renaissance than it is a, a new way of thinking. Because when mm -hmm. we look back at Paul's actions and throughout the mission of the church, the history of the church, we see these kind of things that are out there. It's good. Hey, well, good work. And thank you for sharing with us today, Jay. We really appreciate it. Good, it's a good approach for us to think about. Great to be with you, Eddie. Thank you. Bet. And we want to thank you for listening. Please take this podcast, share it with someone that would benefit. Remember, every little thing we do, it's really helpful, especially when we work together. We truly are better together.